Oh, thank you so much, ladies. A wonderful song, powerful message. And Candace, you had a very good helper. Why don't you open with me in your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 4. I know, I can feel it deep down in my heart, you have all waited with such anticipation all week long to hear me preach today. And I, uh, <laughs> I'm uh, glad to do it. Um, we're looking at a series this morning as uh, in 1 Timothy about the kind of things that God blesses. If you were here a couple weeks ago, we looked at the kind of church God blesses. Last week, we looked at the kind of person that God blesses and really continuing in that same theme, maybe a little more specifically though, the kind of spiritual life that God blesses. Uh, the book of 1 Timothy is wonderfully pastoral, very church-related instruction, all right? So the kind of spiritual life God blesses. What kind of person should you be inside in your walk with Jesus, and uh, how do we do that? That's a little bit of what our sermon's going to look at today. And uh, we're going to, to begin with, I want to show you the first verse and then the last verse of this chapter, and then we'll spend the rest of the sermon sort of filling it in, all right? Look at me at verse number one. First Timothy chapter four, verse one, God's word says, now, the Spirit expressly says that in later times, some will depart the faith. And the language that's used there is very intentional. That's gonna be a, a theme in this chapter, all right? He's warning them, listen, just because you're all really into this whole Christianity thing today, just because you're really faithful in the church in this season of your life, that's not a guarantee that you will be 10 years from now. We hope that it will be, but you know as well as I do, sometimes people come, sometimes people go. Notice now the last verse of the chapter, verse number 16. Paul tells Timothy, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching persist in this, for by so doing you will save. All right? He warns against departing from the faith. He gives a lot of instruction. And then in verse 16, he says, all right, if you do these things well, you will save yourself and your hearers. In other words, you will help people not to be one of those who depart the faith. So how do we do that? How do we ensure that we're one of those folks that, listen, what we have with the Lord is real. And by real, I mean it's enduring. It's going to last. I want to be a child of God living faithfully 10, 20. I mean, Lord willing, we don't know the future, 30, for however long the Lord gives us. I want to make it all the way to the end. I don't want to be one of those people that says years from now, you know, I used to go to church. I used to read my Bible. I want to stay faithful. Well, how do we do that? This chapter gives us some very keen instructions, and it speaks to us on the spiritual level. And so from 1 Timothy chapter 4, let me share with you the kind of spiritual life that God blesses. Here are three things every child of God needs to know about and needs to account for in their life so they don't wind up as one of those who depart the faith. The first thing I'll share with you this morning is we must remember the reality of spiritual warfare. The reality of spiritual warfare. Let's read the first five verses together. It says, Now the Spirit expressly says in later times, some will depart the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and the teachings of demons. Things get pretty serious quickly. 
through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. People who, verse 3 says, forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good. Nothing is to be rejected if it's received with thanksgiving, for it's made holy by the word of God in prayer. Now, when we read God's word, we read it. We want to know how it applies to our life. But what we have here also is a window into some other people's lives, right? We're, we're looking at a congregation in ancient Ephesus that Paul would, had been a key leader in. Timothy now is sort of the key leader there. And so Paul is speaking in, in uh, specifics about that church. But there are principles there for this church, right? Specifics about struggles they dealt with. Great principles for us about how we can live a faithful Christian life. And the first thing he speaks to them about is he warns them about deceitful spirits and the teachings of demons. Now, I don't know if that part of your life has just sort of been lulled to sleep, or if you think about demons and the devil and spiritual warfare, and you think about fringe groups or folks that are much more charismatic or expressive in their worship. But brothers and sisters, the Bible's real clear on this issue. There is something called the spiritual realm. And it's not like it's out there and we're over here. They're sort of intertwined. Right? So we have to deal with this reality, the reality of spiritual warfare, and we forget about it or downplay it to our own peril. As God warns his people not to be the kind of folks who depart the faith, the first thing he warns them about is, hey, you need to remember spiritual warfare. Lauren and I read a book together several years ago. It was by an author named Chip Ingram. It was titled The Invisible War. What every believer needs to know about Satan, demons, and spiritual warfare. Here are five, uh, four or five basic truths about the reality of spiritual warfare. There is an invisible world. Okay, there's more than just what we can see and what we can hear or touch with our bodily senses. We are involved in this invisible war. Our enemy is strong, and we must take him very seriously, but not be afraid of him. And an important principle for us to recall, we fight from a position uh, uh, from victory, not for victory. For the battle's already been won by Jesus, okay? Uh, we got to remember we're living in a spiritual world. And as a result of that, we need to make sure to be spiritual people with a spiritual life. Let me say a few things from these verses about spiritual warfare in, in particular. Let me note for you the aims of the devil, okay? Here's what the devil and his demons would like to do to you to get you off track so that someday you'd be labeled as one of those who have departed from the faith. Number one, the devil indeed wants you to depart from the faith. He wants you to be one of those statistics. You know, if we're going um, in a straight line and uh, we're driving in our car, say, 60 miles an hour, if we turn off of that straight line just a little bit, for a while, we'll be driving right beside that same lane we were in, right? But as time goes on, even that small turn in our vehicle, it's going to bring us farther and farther away from where we started. And over a period of time, we're so far away from where we started, we don't even really remember what it was like. That's what the devil wants to do to your spiritual life. Incrementally, so small and so slow, you don't sense it, and you certainly don't feel how serious of an issue that it is. We, we don't go from being people who are active in the faith to people who depart the faith overnight. 
Those instances are incredibly rare. It's incremental, slow change. And so God wants us to know, listen, there are forces out there trying to get you to make little decisions that take you just a little ways farther away from the Lord. Don't give in to those things. The devil wants you to depart the faith. Now, that might look like walking out, or it might just look like tuning out. It might look like quitting altogether, or it might look like just stop trying anymore. God wants you engaged. He wants your spiritual life. What else does the devil want to do? Well, this passage teaches us the devil wants to trick you, to dupe you, or to lull you into believing things that aren't true or that aren't helpful. We see that on display here in the phrase of deceitful spirits and the teaching of demons. And it says in particular in verse 3, things like they forbid marriage and they required abstinence from certain foods. Those were issues they dealt with. There are still similar issues that we deal with in our day. The devil further wants to sear your conscience. Do you see that language in verse number 2? It speaks of the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. You know what a seared conscience means? It means you can't feel anymore. And so as we grow apart from the Lord, the feeling part of our, of our life before the Lord starts to become desensitized and dulled, and we're not as sensitive as we were. And over time, what, what ends up happening is we don't feel the Lord anymore at all. And so if you today can look back on your spiritual life and think, you know, I remember when I used to hear from the Lord. I haven't heard from him in a while. I remember when I used to feel his presence, but I don't feel from him anymore. I remember there's this, there's this thing in my life that I struggle with, and I remember when I first gave into it and I committed that sin for the first time, it felt so bad and convicting. But, you know, over time, by little by little, I just feel less and less. Your conscience is becoming seared. If you know something is wrong, but you can do it, and it no longer really feels wrong. Your conscience has been seared. That's the influence of demons in your life. One other thing we'll say about what the devil wants from you, the devil wants you to engage in legalism rather than to believe the gospel. That's what happens here. Paul warns those Christians, he said, listen, you got folks out there telling you that you, you can no longer be married, like it's, it's holier for you if you don't get married, and you can't eat certain foods, and then God's word says, yeah, but there's nothing wrong with the food. God made the food, you receive it with grace and with gratitude, and it's a good thing for you to do that. that but, but, but so often, what the devil would rather have us do, rather than believe God, rather than trust God, he'd like us to just start trying to work on our own, right? A works-based approach to trying to grow closer to the Lord. That's legalism. Legalism is what happens when we insist that in order to be right with God, in order to be a good Christian, we have to do things that we don't really have to do, and we do them in an attempt to try to earn something that Jesus has already paid for. That's what legalism is. Legalism says, well, let me work my way up to something. The gospel says Jesus already did the work. Legalism says, I'm pretty good. Look how mature and look how strong I am. The gospel looks at humanity and says, there is none good, 
not even one, but then it looks at Jesus and says, well, there is one who's good and he has died for you. Legalism says you can't join our group or certainly at least you can't be a part of the inner circle unless you do these certain types of things or you look these certain types of ways. But the gospel invites everyone and says there's no partiality with God. There, there is, Galatians 3 will say, there's neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, male or female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. Legalism says this, I'm just a screw up. I'm only good at failing. I'm so tired of always messing up. But the gospel says, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. We must be a people that leave legalism behind as we move forward with Christ and with his gospel. So that's the first word of warning that God would have for us today. As we think about, hey, I don't want to be the kind of person who departs the faith someday. We must remember the reality of spiritual warfare. Notice with me a second word for us, and that is concerning the need for spiritual discipline. Let's read together verses 6 through 11. Verses 6 through 11. It says in verse 6, If you put these things before the brothers, you'll be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being, and I want you to notice the next word, trained in the words of the faith. Hang on to that word, trained, for just a moment, and of the good doctrine that you've followed. Verse 7 says, Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. Remember, we're highlighting here the need for spiritual discipline. Notice how many times that word train or training continues to show up. 4 verse 8 says, while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Now verse 9 says, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance for to this end we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God who's the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Now, command and teach these things. Now, the, the word train, training, and trained are used three different times in this passage. And in one of those instances, the word means to instruct or to teach somebody something. But in the other two, if you could see the word in the Greek, you'd notice it's where we get our word gymnasium from. It's gymnazo. Like you'd see gymnast in the word. So when training is referred to here, it, it, it really means in, in terms of your spiritual life, you've got things you need to do to go to the gym and work out. You're not trying to build the muscle of your bicep. You're trying to build the muscles of your spiritual life. And training is important. And for those things, we have need of discipline. I want to tell you something. Well, we believe with all of our hearts that when you get saved, it's completely free. You don't have to climb a ladder. You don't have to save up a certain amount of money. When you get saved, it's just you and Jesus. He did all the work. He paid the total price. And you just give your heart to him, and it's free. And that's the truth. That's the gospel. Here's a risk we take when we share that message. It's, it's, a, it's a risk we must take because the gospel is free. But the risk is this. We think, well, listen, that was so easy, and that was so free. All I have to do to be a good Christian for the rest of my life is, is not much. I've already just taken care of it. I'm saved. Right? I'm saved. I'm baptized. I'm a good Christian. Sure. But the value of training is emphasized in God's Word. Uh, did you know that the word godliness 
is used 10 different times in this Paul's letter to 1 Timothy. Godliness, to be godly. It's something that we've got to work at and we need discipline in our life to do those sorts of things. Now, who trains? An athlete trains. What are they trained for? Because they want to get better. They want to develop better habits, better skills. They want to eat better so that they can win, so they can perform. Paul would say elsewhere, listen, I'm going to run this race in a way so that I win. And brothers and sisters, we need some discipline in our lives. Um, As a Christian, you're supposed to want to get better. Let me share that again, all right? As a child of God, you're supposed to want to grow to be closer to Jesus. If there's no desire in your heart and if there's no training in your life so that you can become a better child of God, something is the matter with your spiritual life. We're supposed to want to grow. I hope, I hope as I say that, some of you are going, you know, I haven't done a great job at this, but I know what he's talking about because I feel that. I want to grow. If you're here this morning, however, and there's no desire in your heart to grow closer to Jesus, brother or sister, may God have mercy on your seared conscience because you can't feel anymore what the Holy Spirit desires in your life to grow. And for that, we need discipline. If there's no desire to grow The spiritual warfare has gotten a hold of you and you are losing ground. You're already buying into some untruths about the faith. Your conscience is losing its sense of touch and feeling. You are on your way to being one of those who depart the faith. It's no wonder Jesus' followers were called disciples. For to be a disciple requires discipline. It takes discipline to train, right? That's what Paul kept telling Timothy. Train, train. It takes discipline to stay on track. It takes discipline to keep a heavenly perspective. It takes discipline to keep hope. Discipline. Let me share with you two ways that you can practice discipline in your spiritual life. Right? If we, if we talk about the importance of discipline, here's two things you can take with you today. Number one, have a daily quiet time. That may be the most life-changing thing you hear all day. Have a daily quiet time. If, if you never take time out of your daily life to read God's Word a little, and to spend some time in prayer, let me just tell you, I'm diagnosing you with something here, okay? If you never do that, there is something the matter with your spiritual life. And I want to say this, it's easily fixed. Just read the Word and spend some time in prayer. Five minutes, ten minutes, whatever. Whatever you have the appetite for, whatever you can handle. We need that in our lives. If not, hey, we're going to be one of those people who depart the faith. Those warnings are real. One of the things lacking in many Christians' lives today is discipline. Discipline. What are the things that we are disciplined about? What's the things we believe in? 
It's the things we're passionate about. May we be a people who are passionate about growing in our spiritual life and thus have discipline. All right, two ways to practice discipline. Have a daily quiet time. And number two, go to church every week. Now, that may not feel like a discipline to some of you because it's just what you always do. It is indeed a discipline. It requires discipline. You could do a hundred other things. Many of you had opportunities to do something else this morning, but you chose to be here. That took discipline. Here's what I think about being a child of God and going to church. If nothing's the matter with you, you should be here. Right? I mean, if nothing's the matter with you, you should be here. We all get sick from time to time. Thank the Lord. We get, get to go on vacation once or twice a year. I don't know how long. I'm not going to put a number on it. But if nothing's wrong with you, you should be here at worship because that's what children of God do. Now, if you struggle with that, right, if your attendance is just, you know, hit or miss, that doesn't mean necessarily that you're not saved. It does mean that you lack discipline in your life. It does mean, I mean, I, I, listen, I'm trying to hurt anybody's feelings. I promise as I'm saying this, I'm not looking out on the congregation going, no, they're okay. They're usually, well, they could work on their attendance. I'm not doing that, okay? I'm just sharing with you what we need to hear today. If you struggle to come to church regularly, it reveals something about you and your spiritual life. You have a somewhat lackadaisical attitude towards the church. Again, a lack of discipline. Discipline. Listen, just being here isn't going to somehow automatically make everything better in your life. It's not like we keep an attendance chart. Whoever gets the most checks at the end of the year is obviously closer to heaven, right? That's not how it works. But our community, right, our church, being here together, worshiping, it's supposed to form us. Part of our formation as children of God is supposed to happen here. By, by, by the, the coming each week to the church gathering, the worship, the teaching, the opportunities for service. It happens when we practice discipline. Put it this way. Nobody has ever went on a diet and lost weight without discipline. It takes discipline. I remember Monday, just this past week, I said, you know, I'm going to be good. I'm going to be, my pants are a little tighter than I wish they were. I'm going to be good this week. And on Monday, Lauren texts me, you want to do Chinese buffet? So all morning long, I'm going, discipline. And she says, you want to do Chinese buffet? And I said, I'll be there. Where'd my discipline go? It happened again on Wednesday. Wednesday, it's a long day. Gotta have a, I got to win lunch. Supper's going to be tough. I got to win. I'm going to be good. Somebody text me, you want to go to Tequila's and Baxley? I said, I'll meet you there. I need some discipline. The same is true in our spiritual life. If we're going to do better, it's going to require discipline. No one's ever built serious muscle without discipline. No one's learned a new trade or a new language or a new hobby without discipline. No one's ever mastered an instrument without discipline. No one's ever grown a business or raised a child or kept a house without discipline. In the same way, no child of God has ever matured in the faith without discipline. Discipline's a good thing. And we need it in our life. Two disciplines for you to take today and say, I'm going to practice these disciplines. Have a daily quiet time and go to church every week. Let me share with you thirdly and finally, things we need to remember so that we are not one of those who depart the faith. In verse 12 to 16, we see a few keys to spiritual growth. We talked about the need for discipline in our spiritual lives. We talked about spiritual warfare. Let's talk about 
spiritual growth for just a moment. Verse 12, we see some very specific advice for Timothy. Just by way of reminder, Timothy was a young pastor, and Paul was a seasoned veteran minister. That makes sense when you read verse 12. Paul told Timothy, let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching, and do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. That's growth. Your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this. For by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. A few keys for spiritual growth. Number one, learn to be yourself. Just be yourself. First thing Paul tells Timothy here is, hey, listen, I know you're young. I know that might make it hard. Just be yourself. Don't let people look down on you for that. Be yourself. You know, as I have meditated over the years over the qualifications to be a pastor, uh, primarily they're found in 1 Timothy chapter 3. I've preached through them many times. I've led churches to, to do things through those qualifications many times. And as I think through them, I think the one thing that stands out most to me about what God wants from pastors, I think it's the, I think it's the number one thing that God wants from ministers so that they'll serve their churches well in faith. He wants them to be themselves. You look at the list of qualifications there, there, there's nothing about following certain trends, putting forward a certain look, meeting everyone's expectation. The only thing there that's even remotely related to having a skill to do something is you have to be able to teach for obvious reasons. You're the preacher, right? You need to be able to convey God's word. Aside from that, you need to do this. Here's what you need to do to be a good pastor. You need to be yourself in the godliest way possible. And that same principle is true for all of you, right? The key to growing spiritually is most, most of us have in our minds people that we know and we say, you know, this person, man, that's a really great spiritual, just mature person. And so we think, well, I got to kind of be like them. No, you need to be yourself just like God made you and grow in your walk with Christ. Grow as who Jesus made you to be. Notice in verse 14, he tells Timothy, do not neglect the gift you have. You have. He speaks to him as a person and the way that God made him and what he blessed him with. What next, though, ought we to do to grow spiritually? Be yourself, yes, but also this, live an upright life. You want to grow in your walk with the Lord? Live for Jesus. Make good decisions. When you have an opportunity to do the right thing versus the wrong thing, do the right thing. He told Timothy, listen, set an example for the believers in your speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity. Why those things? Well, because those are the things that change when you meet Jesus. Those are the things that people see and, and feel when they interact with you. Live an upright life. Family, you, you can always... Make an impact on the people around you by how you live your life, always. Do it and watch the Lord bless as you grow in your walk with Jesus. Just two more things. How do we grow spiritually? Make the Bible a priority. Now, we've already hinted at this some, 
when we were talking about discipline and we said, hey, everybody needs to have a daily quiet time. But notice verse, verse 13. Out of all the things that Paul could have told this young pastor, here's what he tells him. Devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, and to teaching. Make the Bible a priority. According to surveys conducted by LifeWay Research, reading the Bible is the number one predictor of spiritual growth. Like if you want to take a group of 10 new Christians and say, all right, 10 years from now, which one of them will still be serving the Lord faithfully? Which one of them will have grown and are using their gifts and is now a leader in the church? Which one of those will it be? Well, the number one predictor of success is do they read their Bible or not? Make it a priority in your life. You can and you should. Reading the Bible is one of those things that the more you do it, the better it gets. The more you do it, the better you get at it. And so every moment that you do it is not only in and of itself rewarding, but it's also an investment that will reap dividends later. Because the more you do it, the better it gets. And the more you do it, the better you get at it. Reading your Bible is the one thing in my mind that really impacts every other wonderful Christian practice. Prayer, service, attitude, relationships, generosity, evangelism and witness, reading your Bible just sets the tone. Now, I'm a morning person, so I read my Bible in the morning, and it sets the tone for the day. I have tried, but I can't find it. I wish I could find a Bible verse that told everybody to read their Bible in the morning, but apparently there's some people who aren't morning persons. Uh, go figure. Read your Bible. Read your Bible. It's really that important. Last thing I'll say is this. How do we grow in our walk with the Lord? We do it by being Faithful, being faithful. Uh, look, look at verse 15 and verse 16 again. I just want to highlight a few words there. It says in verse 15, practice these things. Right? That's faithfulness. Immerse yourself in these things. Don't, don't just dabble in them. Right? Make this your life. Persist in this, verse 16 says. Your spiritual life and your life in the church ought not to, to be a, a side hobby for you. Well, I, I, I know that's important, but I got a lot of other things going on in my life. I'm real busy. I'll do those things if I get to them. It ought to be a priority in our lives. I heard someone tell a story uh, years ago about a tribe of Native, Native Americans, and these Native Americans believed in like, you know, meditation and, and doing things like that to connect with their ancestors and whatnot. And, of course, we don't believe in those things. But they, they had particular places where the men of, of the village would go and spend time doing those things each day. And so they would walk a path out towards the woods, and then there'd be this little just worn footpath that would go to a spot. And each man had his own little spot and you could see how they were doing spiritually, so to speak, based on how well-worn the path was to their spot. So I, I want to ask you today, as we get ready to, to have our time of invitation, this, this is where we take all that we've experienced today, all that God has said through his word, and we just try to say, Lord, what, what do you want from me today? How can I respond? I want to ask this question. How's your path? Right? How's your walk with the Lord. Is it a well-trod path? 
if you're honest this morning, would you have to, would you have to admit, you know, the grass has grown up a little bit. There, there's some weeds there. You can hardly see the path I used to take. If that's you, I want to warn you, okay? The Bible says in later days, there will be those who depart from the faith, and that's how it happens. What used to be a well-worn path is now overgrown. You have an opportunity today to say, you know what, Lord, I want to do better. I'm afraid to make a commitment because I'm afraid I'll fail again, but God, I'm going to make that commitment to you today. I want to do better. I want discipline in my life because I believe in you and what you've called me to. Let me ask you to bow your heads this morning. We're going to have an opportunity in just a moment for you to respond to this message. I'm going to say a prayer. And then we're all going to stand, and you have a chance this morning to come forward and kneel at this altar. Hey, that's the first steps to a well-worn path in your life. Take those feet of yours and walk that path to the altar today. It's nothing to be ashamed of. I think sometimes in our minds, we're tempted to think, if I go forward at the altar this morning, people are going to think I'm living in sin. Well, let me tell you something. Everybody's a sinner. And if they think that about you when you walk forward, they need to be thinking about other things for a productive invitation. Let me tell you that, okay? You do as God leads you to do today. If you're here this morning, you've never given your heart to Jesus. I want to tell you, Jesus has a spiritual life for you. It starts with salvation and forgiveness of sins, and it goes on through all the rest of your life. Purpose, meaning, usefulness, finding, finding your spot in this world. And it begins with giving your heart to Jesus. Jesus died on the cross so that you could be forgiven and have a life with God. If you've never given your heart to Jesus, in just a moment, when we stand, I'm going to invite you to come forward and respond in faith today. Come see me, and I want to talk with you about how you can give your life to Jesus this morning. Father in heaven, we thank you for this time of preaching. Lord, thank you for your word. We ask you, God, that as we now respond, we just pray, Lord, touch our hearts. Touch our hearts before we leave this place, God, that we would respond pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let me invite you to stand. The altars are open.